Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Torn Orc, and with me as always is his shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, Axel? Uh, it would be going better if I could fix my sleep schedule, which has been a nightmare for a long period of time. I keep sleeping really long. I think it's because I was sick for the last three weeks, but hopefully I can fix it now because I feel pretty much completely better. That's good to hear. How about you? How are you doing? I almost never asked you that question, I think, now, now that you mention it. Uh, pretty good. Finished my first week at my new job. Uh, there's entirely too much snow on the ground, and that's saying something, considering my love of the stuff. Hmm. Well, I'm, you know, a Viking, so I'm used to the snow, and I kind of love it. So why don't you take us into our Patreon sound off? All right. As always, we are going to start the episode by thanking the people that make this endeavor possible. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Orion McCann, and Chris Chipman. Now, if you'd like to become internet famous, just like these fine, fine folk, head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash geekswithshields. It only costs you 25 cents an episode, and you would not believe how much it helps us out. And for today's episode, we're joined by a longtime friend of the podcast, a dignitary from the sovereign nation of Pretoria, Snailboat Captain. Ah, yes. Hey, welcome, gentlemen. He's actually been, we've recorded with him before, but we lost the audio, so we couldn't put it up, and he's been very patient with us, <laughs> so. Allegedly lost the audio. So we brought him on today so we could talk about a topic that I admit I'm a little, but this was Ulrich's idea. The concept is streaming done right is the name, right? Well, yeah, because we're currently in the middle of the streaming wars and everyone's vying for our attention and our money. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to sit down and talk about, you know, shows and shows that their platform is using them to their fullest. So one part long winded, you know, suggestion of the week one part talking about how this new, is it an industry? I don't know what you want to call it, of streaming has kind of, you know, changed TV and movie. I, I think industry might be correct. It's kind of like comparing it to when, you know, television came out or when home video became a thing. It's like a new method of, you know, delivering entertainment, right? It's also, it's also a source of funding for the creators. Yeah. Okay, well then let's get get right into it. If the if the if the name of the topic is streaming done right, then I guess we should start at the beginning, right? It is is Netflix the first real streaming service? I mean, I suppose it's something like YouTube is technically the first streaming service, quote unquote. But I, I guess we should start with YouTube then, shouldn't we? Uh, see, the thing about YouTube is they've only become a well, they're out of the streaming wars currently because they did a couple, you know, big budget, well, TV shows. I heard Cobra Kai was really good. I've yet to watch it. Yes, things Cobra like Kai's that. Amazing. But they have since, you know, bowed out of the streaming wars saying, yeah, we give up. Well, I think that my input for YouTube on streaming would be that YouTube gave birth to a bunch of new genres of like different arts, I think. And those have been carried on into to other streaming services. See, I'm trying to think, did Netflix or Hulu start the you can watch on your computer service first? That, that was Netflix. You, you would get like you get flyers for it, too, like with your DVDs. It was really limited at first, though. There was like a countable number of movies. Yeah, because Netflix started off as a, like, mail service for DVDs, right? Like, they would send you a movie, and then you'd send it back to them or something back like that. Back in the good old they, days, yeah. They still do that. Some of us still do. Oh, they do? Also, didn't Hulu. Blockbuster stream before Hulu, technically? I don't know. Uh, Chris, we know you're listening. Let us know. Well, I remember <laughs> they did a thing where, so I did it for a summer. You you signed up, like, Netflix, and you could 
watch movies online, but you could also just like, or you could get your DVDs in the mail like Netflix. You would just be able to turn them in and check it out. I don't think you could stream now. I know that Blockbuster had the option to buy Netflix and they passed on it. All right, hold on. Before we move forward then, just for my own sanity, let's uh, clarify then we're talking about paid streaming services because i feel like youtube is important for the general streaming service discussion because it it has content that you can't get like even of its type anywhere else like no matter what you feel about let's plays it is a very unique genre of entertainment that really only exists on youtube but if we're talking about paid streaming services it brings up a kind of different conversation because that's when you get into more uh the the service itself trying to provide original content and that's where we get our netflixes our hulus our, our things like that does that sound yeah, fair that's i think what we're kind of going with because the idea when i came up with this was i kind of thought we were going to one of us was going to talk about bojack horseman and how you know that's a uniquely netflix idea i mean but i surprisingly love no one trusts bojack horseman my show's really Bojack. good, but when I thought about it, I was like, I don't think Bojack needed Netflix to be successful. I enjoyed binging it, but I feel like it could have it could have held up on its own and like I don't know, Comedy Central, Adult Swim. Actually, I agree with him. When I when you first brought up the question, I thought, okay, it has to be something that the platform itself, the 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 structure of it, adds to. So my first thought was End of the Fucking World, because End of the Fucking World is. Basically, the whole thing's only three hours long, so it could have been a movie, but it's still a a show. But it's a show that is telling one continuous story, so it really benefits from the the binge format, you know. And that's a great example because I would say it's unique to a streaming service because I don't know if anyone else is going to take that risk to do it, you know. That that would be a positive for streaming services. I definitely think the variety of content being made is definitely better because you can like look at things like I, I'm going to talk about Harmon Quest later. I don't think those kind of things would be around without like streaming services looking for more and more content. Why don't you just go ahead and talk about Harmon Quest since you mentioned it? Well, it's Harmon Quest. It's not. There's no. It's not plural. I mess that up all the time. Okay, I do. I do like Harmon Quest. I haven't watched it in a while because I haven't come up with anything new. But Harmon Quest is great. Well, for those people at home that maybe don't know quick rundown on what it is and maybe why you think it's unique to the streaming service genre, whatever you want to call it. All right. Well, it is a uh, Dan Harmon is one of the creators of Rick and Morty and he and some of his uh, friends all get on stage and play D and D in front of a live studio audience. And then they uh, chop it up and they animate it. So you get to see a little bit of both. And which, who has the, which, uh, where is this hosted? Verve. Let me think. Oh, well, it, oh yes, it is on Verve. It started on CISO, which was another like, you know, trying to be a competitive streaming service, but that got absorbed. And it's on VRV now, which is like the streaming service I want to talk about today because they I've recently uh, started, you know, paying for a VRV membership and I'm not plugging it too hard, but you get a lot with it and I use it mostly to watch anime. It, it's just very convenient for me. And they have a lot of other shows I like, like Harmon Quest. And there's even some other really strange, you know, kind of off mainstream shows. Yeah, and I kind of will talk about that with a couple of my choices when you get to it. But I think that has like been the biggest boon from the streaming world everyone's competing to get your money so they're more experimental they're trying different things i think that the best example for amazon is mrs Maisel. i don't know if that would exist on a traditional premium cable network i, I love that show i can't stress enough how much i like that show it is surprisingly good and i think if it were on you know any other network it would have to make concessions 
I do think that because of the the streaming platform, they probably don't face as much regulation as well. Like as far as what their content is, what can be shown on TV versus movies, you know, you can show quite a bit in a streaming service because it's, you know, your area. Yeah, so I'll circle around to my first choice. And my first choice is The Punisher, both seasons one and two, may it rest in peace. You know, Eminem, like he even he made a comment publicly, like saying you guys are messing up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the behind the re- scenes reason for its cancellation is. Yeah, you do. Disney's Disney's pulling all the rights. That's it's pretty obvious. <laughs> That's the more or less accepted one. But nothing hard and true has come out that we can definitively go see. Here's the proof. Oh, come on. The fact that they can cancel a show like Jessica Jones before it's even this season's even aired. The fact that Disney's going to make has been very open about making their own streaming service and their deals with Hulu. Now, nah, this this is about as hard and true as you can get with these kind of deals. Yes, but I'm trying to avoid legal action. The, the downside is we're going to see, uh, it looks like the market wants to fragment up more and more with more and more people saying they want their own streaming. Yeah, and that's why, you know, when I say the streaming wars, that's kind of how the colloquial term for Amazon and YouTube and everybody fighting it out for our tax dollars, not tax dollars, our investment. But yeah, Punisher. I love Punisher, both seasons one and two. And I'll be the first to admit, I was super skeptical they could actually make this work. I definitely like the veteran approach, the like the, the feelings yeah. he was going through. That was probably my favorite. Well, when I say I was curious about Punishers, Punisher is a bit of a weird character in that a lot of people like him for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, in this day and time, it's really kind of hard to make a show about a guy who rolls around with a literal mountain of guns killing people he sees as bad guys. But Punisher really approaches it with a lot of uh, understanding. And they really do deal with a lot of you know PTSD and veterans affairs and really great stuff like that. I mean, our first episode was us just gushing about how much we loved that first season of Punisher. Yeah, it's too bad that I'm uh, having difficulty getting to the second season. So I really like the second season. I don't necessarily like that they did the double villain. I don't know why they did a double villain. Maybe because they were afraid that if they didn't do it, they were going to get canceled. But seeing as how the first, second season went into production almost immediately after the first season, who knows? But all that aside, uh, the reason I think Punisher is a great example of the streaming with the streaming services is I think if this were an HBO show, we'd have a lot of mandatory nudity. I think that the Punisher would be poor off of a streaming because it would be very frustrating to watch it episodically like like the episodes yeah. don't feel as the streaming service episodes like the shows like that are meant to be benched and they don't feel as contained within each episode oh there's definitely that it feels like you're reading a comic book and you want to get to the next issue but i think that's kind of a strength of the overall streaming services is because they offered such a wide you know platform demographic they don't feel they have to you know give you your money back as much and i love game of thrones i'm a huge game of thrones fan i'm looking at a baratheon you know banner right now as i'm recording this but sometimes game of thrones really feels gratuitous for the sake of gratuity and i believe that is the effect of we're on hbo people are here to see some titties i guess i mean from a capitalistic or free enterprise point of view you could say that one of the benefits of the whole streaming wars or whatever. Cause you know, my initial reaction is I'm not going to spend like 40 bucks to have five different streaming services. I'm going to just pick like the one I like most 
and you know spend like the eight to ten bucks a month to get that one right so which that's frustrating because i want to have access to a bunch more material but what that also means is because you've got right a, a competition between them all the different streaming services are going to try to make themselves special in some way to put them above the other ones like for example over the last three years netflix seems to have gone out of its way to get as many comedy specials and comedians as possible it's become like the new comedy central in in, in some ways and i love stand-up comedy so that's like a really good way to sell me on keeping netflix over something like hulu or amazon yeah, yeah. I agree. That's kind of like the DC's streaming service is aimed specifically at that market as well. You know, like you might be like, oh, I'm on Netflix because I enjoy comedy. Someone similar would be like, oh, I love DC based animation and story. So that specific service is no doubt where I'm going to get. I'm really curious to see if that's going to last. I feel like it's way too niche. Way too specific. I agree. Yeah. But yeah, wrapping up real quick on Punisher, because uh, I've been thinking about this one for a while, and I think that Punisher, if we're on network, let's assume that you know there weren't these streaming services. I think it could be on like AMC or maybe FX, because there's a lot of really great shows, you know, Breaking Bad, uh, Sons of Anarchy, the first season of Walking Dead. I specified the first season, and they were great. But I don't think Punisher could be as brutal and you know visceral as it is with some of its ideas whereas if you kicked it over to hbo i think they might go yeah this is great but maybe this is a bit too much i mean we don't want to you know step on any toes and hey can we have a shootout in a strip club and you'd kind of you know maybe notice they were trying to milk it a bit more one thing i'd like to see from these comic book tv shows and streaming services is more monster of the week episodes like i'd like to see the punisher just tracking down some criminal that's not a part of some master conspiracy, right? And maybe he kills that one, maybe he doesn't. You know, that would be a part of each episode, but that would be contained, you know, and that would just show us, like, his day-to-day life. I actually very much agree. I believe when we were first doing our video on the MCU in general, I talked about how that that's what I really wanted from a Daredevil show. It's like, if Daredevil's whole concept of he's lawyer by day, vigilante by night, then I wanted something more like not necessarily something like CSI or Law and Order, but closer, where it's like, all right, just give me a new, what is the case this week that he's got to deal with? He's got to deal with as both a lawyer and a vigilante instead of just every season is, and don't get me wrong, I love Daredevil, but you know, not every season has to be a every episode build up to the, you know, the big super mastermind thing. Just give me some, like you said, day-to-day kind of stuff. That I think that's where Jessica Jones excels, really, is there was a good sprinkling of day-to-day, like, you know, she's chasing after some cheating husband, you know, on the side. Yeah, that reminds me real quick. Where do you guys come down on the whole, it should only be eight episodes, 10 episodes, or 13 episodes that kind of seems to become the hard and fast rule now with streaming services? Because a lot of people say 13 episodes is too many, you get bloat, and it's hard to get through, and yada, yada, yada. Well, that depends entirely on what kind of story you're telling. Because these kind of the reason why 13 episodes is kind of bloatworthy on these particular series is because they're doing a completely serialized thing. Like they're trying to tell this one 
story. If they were, if they did more episodic kind of things, then they can go a lot longer. Like again, I'm watching, I'm rewatching Star Trek right now for the you know nth time, and a season of Star Trek has like 26 episodes. Even something like DS9, whose later seasons are you know pretty serialized, has plenty of episodic episodes just to fill up, and they're good, but they you know they just fill up time, and you can you can get away with that when you're not doing a essentially a movie that you're just stretching over a longer period of time. But and that's Bojack what, Horseman, they only have like what ten episodes. But Bojack Horseman isn't the type of character to have a, a monster of the week kind of episodic thing. I know, but I'm saying is you know it seem it's seeming to be calm. There's a hard and fast rule: if you are a streaming service, you should only do between eight episodes, ten episodes, or thirteen episodes. I saw a lot of people complaining they liked season two of Punisher, but ten episodes was too many because we spent some episodes not chasing the main plot, and. I disagree. I really kind of like those downbeat episodes where you kind of get to know the characters more. So what I'm saying is I'm in favor of longer seasons overall if I'm going to get a bit more character building moments. And I'm not necessarily in a rush to get to the end. Again, I think that it's you can't really make that a rule one way or the other. It depends entirely on what story you're telling. Like with BoJack Horseman, for instance, yeah, every season is like 10 episodes long, but that is exactly the amount they need to tell their story. I mean, it's, it's funny because they have almost like a well-known thing now with like how the penultimate episode is always the one that's the most like depressing. But point is that they use just the right number of episodes to tell their story. Something like end of the fucking world, which is only like eight episodes long is pretty short, but it's short because that's the story it's going to tell any longer. And it would have been, you know, an, just filler for and for that story you don't want that but for something like a marvel property because these are based off comic book characters that used to have like a monster of the week thing you could easily fill them up with you know fluff kind of just fun episodes and i wouldn't it it would work for that material you know like if spider-man was going to become a streaming service show i would definitely want to just see like spider-man chasing down a guy that stole a purse that day or something you know like and it could have some cool story and it could be more of a peter parker episode but like it doesn't have to have you know some shadow organization time like you see in some of those arrowverse you know universe seasons so then i think we're in agreement that there really doesn't need to be a hard and fast rule of you can only do x amount of episodes because that's the way you should do yeah i agree it's what type of story you want to tell? If you want to sell, tell something serial, I think shorter is better, though. Yeah, I don't know, because I'm also a huge fan of One Day at a Time, which is a sitcom, and it only had like 13 episodes, which I thought was weird. Yeah, it just depends on your material. You have to understand how much time you need for your specific material. Well, more and more what I'm just starting to kind of see is people are thinking that there needs to be a hard and fast limit that they're sticking to, whereas some shows would benefit a full 20-season run. They're feeling but we should only do 10 because that's the rule for streaming. And I think we've all kind of agreed that's dumb. Don't do it. Well then, yeah, I will put my flag on the, there is not a hard and fast rule of any kind. It's understand how many episodes you need for your material and then do that. I'll say, I'll I'll jump on the other side though. If this is supposed to be like a limitation, like something like a haiku and they're going to say, Oh, if you're going to tell this type of story, it needs to be that. And they can define it. Then I would be on that, like on that team. I don't know. I think uh, when it comes to good writing, go where the story takes you. Don't set yourself artificially. But we've talked a lot about our choices. Axel, what do you got for us? What? I've been talking about mine. I've been talking about End of the Fucking World. (laughs) So do we know if that's getting a second season or not? If it is, it shouldn't. 
it's it's a contained story. It should not have anymore. Didn't the world but end at the know, end? Basically. I mean, by so definition of that show. Oh, no. Because, see, here's the thing. I really loved that show. But I think there's potential for a second season because they didn't, you know, limited run. And I know it's based on a comic. So maybe there's more to be told in the comic. And we're kind of interesting. But real quick, I mean, since I'm going to let you talk about why do you think that is a show that works so well on stream? Why couldn't it work on HBO, AMC, FX, USA, what have you? Because it's a movie, essentially. And it's it's one of those things where, like, having a really Why not a ser- miniseries? I mean, I, I hate to cut you off, but the argument would be just make it a miniseries. Which, what happened to miniseries? No, no. It, it wouldn't work as a miniseries for the very simple reason of this is the kind of story that is gutted by having to wait in between the episodes. This is a thing you want to sit down and watch in one sitting. It is made for binging i i mean you could make the argument that it shouldn't have been a series it should just straight up be a movie and i can understand that argument but by breaking it up into the subsections each section has kind of its own little themes going on but still the importance of the entire thing being seen in one sitting cannot be overstated i think so it doesn't it wouldn't work on non-streaming conventional television in whatever form you you know desire it I would also argue it doesn't work as a movie and it works so much better as a show is because you get more time to know the characters. So when you do get to the end, it really is that gut punch. Except that if you actually break down the amount of time that it takes up, it's only like two hours long. It would not be any shorter in a movie form. Yeah, I'd agree. But it's the perception of the passage of time. It feels like longer, I think. All right. Well, that's... Like an interesting point that I don't quite understand why breaking it up makes it feel longer, even if it isn't longer. I think that breaking it up makes the passage of time feel like it's occurring, though, right? Yeah, because this is something that got brought up that I hadn't realized. Why is it when you're flipping through, you know, Netflix, Hulu, whatever, and you see a movie and you're like, I don't know, I don't want to watch that. That feels like an investment, but you'll sit down and watch 20 episodes of The Office, no problem. Probably because watching a show, you feel like you have the opportunity to break away at any point without damaging the experience as much as with a movie. And I just kind of think it kind of goes back. You perceive the passage of time differently. You're not thinking, I'm going to sit here and watch this for three hours. You're just thinking, I'm just going to watch this 30-minute segment. Anyway, I suppose. I don't know. That's a whole fun thing. Um, my other one that I kind of want to talk about that is a great example is The Umbrella Academy. I really dug this show. I was just thinking about watching that myself. Uh, the elevator pitch is the X-Men, but weird and dark. Weirder and darker than X-Men. Well, X-Men's a weird one. I mean, on its own. I don't want to go into that whole thing. But because it's such a weird concept for a show, this is kind of one, again, everyone's jockeying to get our views, so they're willing to take more chances. And I think... That this is a great example of Netflix went, huh, this is this really weird, limited run comic book. Let's make it a TV series. I guess. I've got nothing to say about that because I only watched the first episode and I found it dull. So That bums me out because I watched the first episode and I was like, I need more of this. <sighs> to be fair, I've been excited for this since I... Uh, heard Ellen Page doing press for it and she's like so you know it's a story about these seven kids that were all born on the same day from parents that were not pregnant at the beginning of the day and oh they have superpowers I'm sold yeah it's a really weird one but 
I honestly think that this is one, you I mean, going back for the big superhero boom, networks have been like, I don't know. This is a Dark Horse comic. Who reads Dark Horse? It's kind of weird. There's a monkey butler. Who's going to watch? And now because, you know, Amazon's like, we're going to spend a billion dollars remaking Lord of the Rings. Netflix is like, shit. Okay, let's just break out our brother's weird comic book trunk and see what grabs our interest. That's a good way to put it. Well, I mean, both End of the Fucking World and Umbrella Academy are based on, you know, comics that are kind of out there and weird. And does anyone remember Ghost World? Ghost World? My point exactly. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yep, yep. I do like the one thing, I guess my next talking point would be for Netflix is they they let the Black Mirror people do whatever they want. I think that's great. Like that whole choose your own adventure movie. I mean, I didn't think it was the best thing, but I'm glad that it was done. I think that there's a future for that. It was yeah, fun. Bandersnatch was cool. I liked it a lot. Black Mirror is another great example. It's like Twilight Zone, but more? But Black Mirror is an, an example of, because it, it existed on conventional television before getting bought up by Netflix. So it's it like... Did? Yes, it was uh, yeah. BBC, right? Yeah, I believe so. Well, the Brits are always doing crazy shit. My point is, the, the, the point of this discussion is, what does... If it's streaming done right, it's how does the medium of streaming benefit the material? And Black Mirror isn't a great example in this particular conversation because it exists. Bandersnatch is because by being I, I was going to say <laughs> Bandersnatch is. Yeah, Bandersnatch is because of the whole interactive aspect of it that wouldn't be possible at all on conventional television. So, But regular right. Black Mirror isn't. Actually, Black Mirror is, and this is the argument. It may not be for the creative reasons or its show format, but it benefits because of the source of funding that streaming provides, like directly to them, probably gives them the freedom to do those things. And more eyes. Uh, And I'll kind of argue the same about BoJack Horseman, because I've debated about BoJack Horseman, and we've kind of talked about this could easily show up on a Comedy Central or, you know, uh, Adult Swim, but I don't know if it would have the same reach because I never watched Bojack Horseman for the longest time because I just thought it was random weirdness that, you know, I would find on the Adult Swim block. But I think it kind of got a reputation as really incredibly dark, so I was willing to give it a chance. And I'm not sure if that were on Adult Swim or Comedy Central, I would watch it. I'd also argue the biggest advantage all these, you know, that streaming services provide is an audience. I think that uh, Bojack would lose a lot of its punch if there was like Comedy Central commercials in between it, though. So I don't know if it'd work on that network. But you get what I, I mean that. about an audience. Because, I mean, if you're flipping through channels and you see Bojack Horseman, you're not necessarily going to stop. But if you're flipping through your Netflix queue going, God, I want to watch something. What's this Bojack Horseman? That's weird. I'll give it a try. Okay, admittedly, and this is just personal anecdotes, so I can't speak for anyone else. But if I'm flipping through channels... I mean, I haven't had conventional television in years, but if I'm flipping through channels, I would stop on something basically that I'd already seen. Like, oh, like a movie. Yeah, like a movie I already knew or reruns of Ed Ed and Eddie or, you know, Granite for Life. If there was something new on television that I wanted to see, then I would have already known about it and be sitting down prepared to watch it beforehand. Like when I used to watch Toonami on Fridays and like the new Samurai Jack came out or something like I was prepared for that. So the flipping through argument is kind of odd because that really only worked in my experience for things that I'd already seen. Well, then that might kind of prove my point is because when you're watching traditional television, you're going to watch what you've already seen. But with streaming services, you're looking for something new, something you haven't seen before. At least that's my experience. Actually, I do think there is some truth there. Because uh, if I'm sitting down scrolling through 
streaming services. Now, I mean, there are plenty of times where I'll just pick something like Star Trek and hence what's going on now for me. But there are also plenty of times where like, oh, uh, sex education. That looks neat. Let's just let's put in the first couple of uh, first episode. Oh, that was neat. Let's keep watching it. So not the kind of thing that would happen on conventional television usually. No. And again, I think the other thing we're seeing with streaming services is the revival of shows that were otherwise canceled on traditional TV, such as Lucifer and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. True. So we could say that streaming done right is certainly when uh, saving shows that were canceled for regular television bureaucracy bullshit, something like that. I don't know the, yeah. how to phrase that properly. Uh, they're not constrained to... Are you advertising to the correct demographic? Are you going to offend, you know, the Dove company? Are you going to offend Budweiser with your your jokes? You have more freedom. People have already paid us the money. All we need you to do is get us to watch. Uh, Young Justice is a great example of that because I got canceled for literally like the dumbest set of reasons I've ever heard, which basically came down to too many girls are watching this. But then fans were like, that's dumb. We want more of this. And so now they brought it back on the, the DC streaming service. Originally it was going to be on Netflix, but then the DC streaming service happened. So, but point is there's still more young justice being made, which is pretty cool. I, I like to think back of all the random Fox TV shows that I fell in love with that got canceled. And I wonder how many of them would have made it like in this market now, like on a streaming service. I want someone to pick up son of Zorn. I want I would, Jericho. I know that isn't a Fox one, but I would love to see more Jericho. I would love to think Titus, especially because Titus was canceled largely because Christopher Titus himself insulted the network head at the time. So if the fans like resurrected it on Netflix or something, that would have been cool. I think that right there is proved the heads of Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, they don't really care as long as A, you're not super controversial and B people are watching your show. As long as people are subscribing to them, they don't really care. Well, also fun thing about that particular story is that according to Titus in one of it, in his uh, special Neverlution, that they didn't like, you know, cancel his show outright after he basically told the network head that they were stupid. They moved his show to essentially a kill zone, like a time slot that just no one was going to pay attention to. And that's the kind of thing that, a network head at a streaming service can't do to you. The worst they could do is maybe try to bury your show under like, you know, other kinds of shows in a similar category. But generally speaking, if you've already got a fan base, like they could just hit the search button. They don't have to worry about what time slot your show is at, you know? And no doubt they could affect advertising though. Like Netflix does get the best real estate on their own website. Yeah. And can we talk about kind of the problem that's coming up with Netflix in there is too much content and I'm missing some of the original programs and then it gets canceled. Like, I didn't even know you had that. You an example? <sighs> what was the best example I can think of is, like I said before, I'm a huge fan of One Day at a Time. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it. It's in danger of being canceled right now because the network loves it or Netflix loves it. People love it but they're not getting enough views. And it's because there's like 30 some other original movies that have come out. Like have either of you guys watched uh, the kingdom yet? Negative. No. Have you heard of the kingdom? No. Negative. Basically we're going to ancient, I believe Korea. And there is a mysterious zombie disease and it's up to the emperor to stop it. And there's all sorts of Kung Fu and cool shit, but you haven't heard about that. Does that interest you at all? I, I mean, most of my like random watching I, I do with uh, anime, like uh my wife is the big Netflix one, so I'd have to ask her if she'd be in. 
Well, okay, people at home. Kung Fu and zombies set in ancient uh, Korea. I mean, I'm tired of the zombie genre as a whole, but one, that's a setting I'm not familiar with. Two, Kung Fu is awesome. And three, it's a new take on the genre, but people aren't hearing about it because there's 30-some other original programs from Netflix, three new stand-ups, and a god-awful amount of K-dramas. Do the zombies do the Kung Fu? No, I think it's mostly the characters. Again, I haven't had a chance to watch it because I'm trying to, you know, get through the backlog of other stuff Netflix has put out because I'm perpetually afraid if I don't watch this, Netflix won't give me more. Well, speaking of anime, since you brought that up, Snail, do you think – okay, I'm I'm going to put a – I always put these flags down apparently. So generally speaking, I prefer dub to sub because – uh, having something be in English means I can better pick up on inflections, nuances of language, things like that. So if a dub is at least as good as the sub, I will prefer watching it in English. There are plenty of examples where I'll still watch it in Japanese because the English is terrible. But all that being said, so that this new concept of simul dub, where the dub's coming out at like the same time as the the sub is brilliant i love it i love it for shows like you know my hero academia for instance is it's wonderful right it's it also feels like the kind of thing that can only exist because of like funimation streaming service uh you know or, or things like that that by essentially controlling the release schedule not being based on conventional television time slots they have the uh, motivation i would say to have these things released at like the same time would you say that's kind of like a fair assessment now i i also agree i think that widely it allows them to access our market a lot easier because for me it was always hard to know when something was coming out or like you know keep track of that i wasn't very good at it i do think that the uh, simulcast thing is really good and it's very good because i i like dub because if i have to glance away i you know i could miss dialogue and that that can be frustrating yeah. But so there's there's an example of uh, the streaming done right. I think is that I think streaming can directly you can draw a direct correlation between streaming and simulcast, and I think simulcast is definitely a, a force for good, at least in the anime kind of community. It, it got those animes more viewers, which means more monies. That's kind of what you were already saying, right, Ulrich? Yeah, because there's a lot of anime on Netflix and Hulu. I know that's been a boon for Slagathor because she's found one she's never heard of, and it kind of goes back to audiences and diverse audiences because they're not trying to pander to one specific demographic all they care is that you're going to keep watching and keep giving them money no matter how high they raise that monthly subscription i i do i do like Crunchyroll for the anime there there's a lot see here's my problem with things like Crunchyroll and the you know warner brothers service and a little bit of my problem with disney plus i want the most out of you know the product I don't want to just have, oh, I just want to go pay $5.99 here to watch anime and $5.99 here to watch, you know, DC products. Like Netflix, they're a little bit more, but I'm getting more of the buffet. But you like to do more, you know, put your hands in all the little portion sizes. Like, you know, for me, if I'm, for my free time watching, watching anime is like most of my free time watching shows if I'm not watching them with family. I go through moods. Like sometimes I'm in the mood for something like that. Sometimes I want something more. I will say Amazon Prime has a fantastic collection of documentaries. I, I really just like Maisel. That's probably the best show they have, I think. See, it's funny because for me, most of the time, if I have free time, I'm going to be playing games. I'd rather do interactive entertainment than passive entertainment. But if I am engaging in passive entertainment, I more lean towards 
kind of what DC saying. I like a, I like a wide variety. I like how Netflix has like all the Trek. So that's plenty of, you know, time I can spend just watching that. I like that usually new movies at some point will come out on it. Although I've watched a few things on Hulu before. Uh, so that's, but the point is I like being able to see, you know, movies that I maybe missed in the theaters and, as far as original content, having a variety of it so that I can try to find the kind of stuff that works for me. Because I go through definitely the moods too. Sometimes I just want to watch cartoons. Like sometimes I just want to watch anime. We're more rare nowadays. A lot of times I just want to watch, you know, a good sci-fi. So I do think that the the movies they, you know, there's some Marvel movies that I didn't go see in theaters. And when they came to Netflix, it was nice to be able to watch them without paying. Yeah, there's a convenience. One thing, again, because we're kind of we're starting to wrap up, but Netflix. I know you're listening. I know you were tuned into this podcast because we were the best podcast on the internet. You need to get (laughs) more sitcoms, more bingeable content. You spent like $1.1 million to keep Friends. How many original shows could that finance? Friends is not that good. I will fight you. And they never heard from Ulrich again. Well, a good example of that is what Hulu has a superstore, right? Which I... I haven't watched Super a while. Is NBC. Super... Oh, I just know it's on Hulu. So see, that's where that's Hulu where has the advantage. They've went and bought everyone's syndication rights for sitcoms. They have Boy Meets World, which is awesomely nostalgic. Netflix, they're losing them left and right. They're about to lose The Office, I think, next year. So Netflix, get on that. Yeah, I kind of agree, generally speaking. So since we're kind of near the end, uh, real quick, just finishing thoughts and maybe suggest shows that we think you should be watching on the various platforms. Uh, well, I'll just say that if for some reason you haven't watched BoJack Horseman, you really should. Because like Ulrich said, it, it looks like, you know, it might be – I literally had so many friends. I, I've had probably like 12 friends, no exaggeration, who have been like, oh, man, this show is really good. And they'd say something to me like, oh, really? That looked really stupid, like you know, some Seth MacFarlane kind of thing. And it's like, okay, for the first six episodes of season one, it kind of is. And then it turns into something completely different and amazing and dark and the most depressing show I think I've ever watched, and it is awesome. So Guilty. I, you convinced me, and I did watch it. I'm glad I did. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, so that's my, like, if we're going to take a moment to be like, I, of, of all the streaming services, I Netflix is my choice of one. I also have access to Funimation streaming service uh, through a friend of mine um, I, whenever I go to his place, and Hulu when I go to another friend's place. But those, I don't actually have them myself. So, but those are the three that I generally do. But Netflix has, you know, BoJack Horseman, stand-up comedy, and all of Star Trek. So that's that's why it works for me. And as far as original content goes, yeah, BoJack Horseman is my my thing. I, I'm going to plug a Hulu show then for mine. I'd like to plug Legion. It's a it's a, it's an FX show. It's on Hulu, and it's about uh, Legion. He's one of the X Men, or he is a X Men. He's a mutant. He is. Uh, it's a really good show if you go into it not knowing a lot, but you should expect a lot of really fun X-Men kind of things and a show that is very visually pleasing. And they're on their last season now, aren't they? Affirmative. For anyone, oh, there you go. No, for anyone who doesn't know who Legion is, because he's kind of an obscure character, uh, and this is a little bit of a giveaway, but it's also the selling point. Legion is one of the most powerful characters in Marvel, but he's he's kind of like the character from Split, but if every personality was a different version of the Beast, essentially. And had their own individual power. Yeah. 
That's that's Legion's. That's why he's called Legion. He's split personalities with different powers. Okay. Well, I'm gonna do a couple. Uh, if Netflix, if I haven't said it enough, go watch One Day at a Time. It is a really great sitcom that's gonna push all the right buttons, shall we say? And for Amazon Prime, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is ten times better than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I just. Love, just... I, I also love a modern show that has Lenny Bruce as a recurring character because Lenny Bruce is one of the most important stand-up comedians to ever live. And I meet so many people who just aren't aware of his existence. So just something to get his name out there is like that alone. Yeah, I found out who he was through this show. And it is just so wickedly funny, well-written and enjoyable. And it really is the definition of bingeable. Not in that, you know, the story moves along, but you finish one episode and like, okay, I want to watch more because that was a great joke or that was a great setup or that was really tragic. It's funny is I only watch Marvelous Mrs. Maisel when I go over to Snail's house because his wife showed me it and we just watched that. So, And at each time you've come over, I finished it from where we left off with you and I have no problem watching it again. There we go. <laughs> Anyone got closing thoughts? Our closing thoughts are that I think that what's going on right now is not... We, we lit, The internet created this really fractured kind of society online where, you know, the idea originally was, was supposed to bring everyone together, but what it actually did is let niche communities find the people that match their niche and, and like, thrive. So while I want to say that the whole breaking the streaming into so many services isn't sustainable, the truth is it probably is, actually, because basically since everything – like we see everything else online, all the people that are going to be into, say, the DC stuff are going to specifically are going to get that service. And since it's over this wide period of time, they don't have to worry about ranks necessarily. They're going to have enough subscribers to sustain the kind of material they put out for that niche audience. And that's probably going to be true for all the other various you know streaming services as well. So I think it's unfortunate that I'm just not going to have access to everything on my own. But at the same time, I'm you know, looking forward to seeing how they continue to try to differentiate themselves from each other in interesting ways. So, I'm the exact opposite. I think we are reaching streaming fatigue in that people are getting tired of having to pay out all of these various subscriptions and missing stuff and stuff getting canceled because they didn't watch it soon enough. I think actually we're going to be heading back to cable packages for streaming and of course the big ones can be fun to see is warner brothers has announced they're doing their own you know separate one-off streaming service from the dc one and they produce the majority of tv sitcoms so i don't know what's going to happen to things like cbs all access when they don't have the big bang theory two and a half men or any of their big popular shows any closing thoughts now yeah i think that i i'm, I'm glad that the streaming market came about and i'm really happy for a lot of the different forms of art that have come like out of it and like the different you know, some of the off characters wouldn't have got their own stories. You know, maybe Daredevil wouldn't have got another shot because that movie was okay. But yeah, uh, we wouldn't have gotten a Daredevil. I I do think that you are uh, you are right, Axel. I think that the the niche communities are ultimately going to be able to support like their own content. You know, like the people who like anime are going to get Crunchyroll. You know, so Crunchyroll is going to be there. They don't have to worry about Netflix squeezing them out of the market with their own things. Let us know in the comments below, how many streaming services do you have? How many will you have? And like me, have you already started going, making the little flowchart going, all right, so Hulu's going to have the Defenders, but they don't have anything else. But Netflix has comedy and so on and so forth. Because I'm a cheap bastard at the end of the day.
Anyway, let's move on to our suggestions of the week. Since yours is relevant to the topic, Ulrich, you go ahead. Yeah, I know Axel's already talked about this, but I just finished this series last night and I just wanted to talk about it. Sex Education. Holy hell. That show is better than it has any right to be. Yeah, it's accurate. Real quick, I don't remember what you... I know you talked about it and you said you liked it, but we do so many of these, I forget what we say a lot of the time. Um, things about it. Well, you go ahead. Say what you're going to say. Just a quick rundown of the plot. You know, it's got Aza Butterfield as an adult, which was really weird because the last time I saw him, he was a child and now he's acting and doing all sorts of things. Anyways, his mom is a sex therapist. He's kind of sexually repressed because of all that. And he starts giving advice to his fellow high schoolers about various sex related things and kind of having his own interesting story. And we finished it last night. And I turned to Slagathor and I said, you know, there's a couple things I like about this. One, the drama feels genuine. Like this doesn't feel manufactured to push the plot. These feel like real events that would happen to real people. And you, it's a short, like it was like eight episodes, but you really end up bonding and feeling for these characters. And it even has a love triangle. And if you've been following this show long enough, you know how I feel about love triangles. And this one, I'm like, no, this one, again, feels semi-genuine. It doesn't feel like it's being constructed for the point of the show. It feels more like, yeah, this is something that could happen. I also like that one of my favorite things about sex education is that the last episode has a thing happen that I predicted back in episode one and knew it was coming the whole way through. And the fact that I had predicted it and knew it was coming did not at all take away from watching it happen. The the drama between the characters involved in the thing and like watching especially the one character work through their emotions to get to the point that they had to get to was still engaging, even though I predicted it so far back. And that's, I think, a sign of good television. When you can know everything that's going to happen and still like, you know, be engaged with what you're seeing, right? Yeah, I had the exact same reaction. Like, I suspected that's where they were going, but when it happened, I'm like, oh, that's nice, because I really like both these characters, and I really feel for both these characters. This is great television. If you aren't watching this already, what are you doing? Go watch it. It's okay. Pause this stream. Go watch Sect Education. I think that is the most resounding recommendation I've ever given. Now, as for my suggestion... Last night, or yesterday, my lady and I went and saw How to Train a Dragon 3. Now, I'm not actually going to suggest How to Train a Dragon 3 because if you are already a fan of How to Train a Dragon or have seen How to Train a Dragon 1 and 2, I don't need to suggest it. You've already seen it. So instead, what I'm going to say is uh, if you have let the How to Train a Dragon franchise pass you by for whatever reason, maybe because you know they were animated works and you weren't that interested or like you just – you know, heard about the idea and you were interested, I'm here to tell you that you should really give it a shot because the franchise as a whole, now that the trilogy is done, is really solid. It's a really solid three-movie story. It reminded me of the original Toy Story trilogy, you know? Maybe not quite on that level, but not that far below it. It it ends satisfactory. It begins satisfactory. It tells a compelling story with characters that evolve over time, and it's gorgeous. So if somehow you have passed over this series of movies, I'm suggesting you go check them out. I'm pretty sure that the first two are available on one of the streaming services we've discussed, and then the third one's in theater. Pretty sure it's on Netflix. There you go. G- give it a shot. They are are the side things required for like you know nah. following along? No, so there's the there, first and second movie. Right there side. are two... For what he's talking about, there are two television shows. There's uh, Writers of Burke and Race to the Edge. I didn't watch all these. My lady did. She tells me 
that Riders of Burke is meh, but that Race of the Edge is very good, but neither one of them is required to enjoy the movie. So the movies are solid on their own, but if you like them a lot, you can go you know, check out Race of the Edge. Here's what I'll say to maybe push you over the edge. The end of the second How Do You Train Your Dragon being one of the only maybe five movies that made me misty-eyed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've only seen the first two, so I haven't. I haven't seen the third one yet. I'm, I'm going to see the third one tomorrow because these are probably some of my favorite movies. And again, if you know me, the fact that the movie may be misty-eyed, that says a lot about its dramatic weight. Or maybe anyway. about my psychosis. Anyways. How to Train a Dragon franchise. Those are my suggestions. Snail, what you got for us? Well, I'm going to suggest something that I suggested last time, which is, uh, one, adopt an older dog. They often already know what no means. Their energy levels are much more manageable, and they're very loyal. And I, had, I only adopt old dogs, and... I love it. I just want everybody out. If you're thinking about adopting a dog, don't really look at puppies. They'll save themselves. Everybody wants puppies. Get the older dogs. Those are like the the gems there. And then two, the McPons reading list. It's a it's a Navy thing. I was in the Navy, and it's got some really good books on there that I think that like everyone could benefit reading. Like Starship Troopers is on there. It's different than the movie, but they both are you know parodies of fascism. And the Forever Wars on there. And those books, I, I read them when I was in the service, and I think that whole list is worth reading. I can recommend both those books having read them. And as for the dog thing, a snail here got, uh, when he moved up to the city that we currently live in, he got an older dog named Charlie, who is wonderful. And a very, I love that dog. It's a great dog. And I very much agree with him that, you know, the, the puppies always seem appealing because puppies are cute and stuff, but older dogs, they don't get adopted nearly as much. And they, they should because they, you know, are, tend to be already kind of all oh, what you said, and I will just add my voice to that uh, suggestion as well. My Plus, previous old dog dogs was have that nice smell. <laughs> you know that old dog smell. It's kind of like Old Spice, but mustier. Like, I, I also like gray whiskers. It makes them look dignified. No, just for dog. <laughs> Salt and pepper all the way. All right. Well, we'd like to thank Snailboat Captain for visiting this week. Uh, hopefully, we can get you on again before you know it's been like six months to a year. And this time I recorded it, so I'm looking at the recording right now. Should be stable. <laughs> we'll see how the thumbs downs go on the the on my guest appearance. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. All right. Yeah, as always, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe because, as we say at the end of every episode, YouTube hates its creator. Which is why you can also find us on SoundCloud, where you can download us. There's no ads. And if we get enough views, then SoundCloud will consider us real boys and we'll get perks and stuff. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.